Hey, I'm Corey. And I'm Lori. And this is the Nourish Circle Podcast. Join the band as we gather in our Nourish Circle and talk all things weight-inclusive, haze, non-diet, and whatever else is nourishing us. This episode is sponsored in partnership with the Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium. The Weight Neutral for Diabetes Care Symposium is an online training to truly help professionals learn about the intersections of diabetes, disordered eating, stigma, and health behaviors. It will offer all health professionals who work in diabetes care a chance to explore a weight-neutral approach and how this paradigm offers effective care and treatment for patients. The symposium focuses on the intersections of weight stigma, diabetes, eating disorders, and more. Learn and connect with the 16 speakers from around the world who will accelerate your understanding of the nuances and intersection between counseling, diabetes, and weight neutral care. See show notes for a link to the www.wn4dcsymposium.com. CEU credits are also available. Jose Sovinsky is a registered dietitian and nutrition therapist based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, who specializes in eating disorders, intuitive eating, and community nutrition. She holds an honors bachelor degree in nutrition sciences from the University of Ottawa. She has experience working in community health, health promotion, and clinical nutrition with a variety of populations, including seniors, people with disabilities, newcomers, children, and youth. She is passionate about social justice and includes a feminist lens in all of the work she does. Jose is a non-diet, weight-inclusive, feminist, and health-at-every-size dietitian. She believes people of all sizes, genders, ages, race, levels of disability, and class deserve nourishment, well-being, and happiness. She uses motivational interviewing to guide her clients in adopting intuitive eating and mindful eating skills. She allows people to take up space and share their stories with vulnerability and authenticity. She strives to be an ally in people's journey by creating an environment where they feel empowered instead of telling them what to eat and do. She feels eating isn't meant to be filled with guilt, shame, or regret, and strives to support her clients in freeing themselves from the dieting and disordered eating trap. In this episode, we talk to Jose about health at every size and non-diet approach in her work and what that journey was for her towards doing this work. And she also shared with us that she is doing her master's in counseling. So we talked a little bit about what moved Jose in that direction. And this past year was Canada's new food guide launched. And Jose did a lot in social media with thoughts and critiques and as well as some blog posts, um, especially within the eating disorder work that she is doing. So Jose shared with us her thoughts on that. We hope you enjoy this episode of Nourish Circle. Welcome to our Nourish Circle, Jose. We're so happy to have you with us today. I'm happy to be here. Um, So the way we like to start things off is for you to tell us any privileges and frameworks of practice you currently identify with. Yes, this is such an important piece um, because I do experience a lot of unearned privilege, um, which means that I will unintentionally you know, contribute to furthering oppression. And um, it's something that I've been sitting with a lot and reflecting about a lot um, because of the field that we work with, right, which is so entrenched in, in or not entrenched, but part of, of the social justice movement, right? So mm-hmm. I think conversation is so important. Um, and 
you know, our, our areas of privilege will definitely kind of shape our worldview and, and shape the work that we do. So um, I really love that you asked this question. Um, so yeah, so I am a, I'm a white cisgender woman. I'm middle class. Um, I'm in a heterosexual marriage. Um, and I do experience mental health issues, but otherwise I'm able-bodied. Um, and I'm thin, which is important, especially, you know, again, in the field that we work with uh, or work in. Um, and in terms of framework and frameworks in the work that I do, so I use a feminist framework, I'm proud feminist. <laughs> um, yes, I'm, uh, I practice from a, a haze or health at every size perspective. So I often, you know, say that I'm a haze extremist. <laughs> um, Yes, I'm, I'm fat positive. I use a lot of elements of intuitive eating and mindful eating in my work. Um, a lot of uh, work around anti-oppression. Um, I'm trans positive and I'm sex positive, which is not something that comes up that much in the dietitian world, but still part of, um, you know, how I approach conversations. And yeah, so that's kind of where, where I'm coming from. That's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Thank you. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your journey into haze or health at every size and the non-diet approach? Yes. Um, so I didn't even mention I'm a dietitian. I guess I kind of mentioned that in passing. But, um, so I, I work as a dietitian. I'm still relatively new, actually, to the dietitian world. So I started practicing about four years ago. Um, and I was really lucky that I kind of started my career already you know, knowledgeable about this framework. Um, of course, it's grown tremendously since then. I think when I first started my work as a dietitian, I, you know, was interested in this model and um, was starting to implement pieces of it. But I mean, it's certainly, it certainly does, it didn't take the place that it does now um, in my practice. Um, I came to health at every size through um, my own kind of healing journey from disordered eating. So um, during my degree doing nutrition, um, you know, as you know, we learn a lot of things about nutrition. Yes, we do. I would argue too much. <laughs> um, yes, it's true. Yes, we learn all you know, the nitty gritty um, about nutrition, a lot of numbers. And I think I, I took that a little bit too far just on a personal level and um, yeah, ended up uh, struggling with some disordered eating. And in my, you know, at one point I kind of realized this and I, I started looking for supports and um, looking for yeah, kind of messages that would be healing for me. And through that process, stumbled onto the um, the Health at Every Size movement. And that was tremendously healing for me. Um, you know, just seeing health and seeing nutrition in another light that was really more compassionate, I felt, and really more, um, yeah, just like person-focused, right? Um and, uh, and so, yeah, so that was kind of my first dip in the, the haze world was actually through my own healing. And I took so many elements of that into my practice. Um, and then, of course, you know, learning about haze, I learned about intuitive eating because they're so interconnected, although they're different, but they intersect in so many ways. Um, 
and yeah, I was really lucky. So after I finished my degree, I moved to Toronto. And when I first moved here, I looked into who in Toronto practiced from his framework <laughs> and um, ended up connecting with Julie Seal. So a little shout out to Julie Seal for furthering my Hayes journey. Um, and I was able to do a little bit of job shadowing with her. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that was kind of like what brought me to this, to this world. Wow, that is, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear others' stories and how much you can see the intersection with your own story. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of similarity that I feel I experienced going through school and same thing feeling like I almost stumbled on this approach, which I hope with the more of us practicing this approach, it's not something dietitians have to stumble on. It's something that will be more visible and integrated in our early training and not something we feel we have to find. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely not something that I had learned about in my degree. I don't think I ever heard the words health at every size in, you know, the four and four plus years that, um, that were my training. So yeah, I, I really hope that that is changing. And I think, you know, we're slowly seeing um, this non-diet help at every size movement movement within the dietitian world. So I hope that that makes its way into the university um, education programs. Great. And you mentioned about Julie Seal, whom I love too. She's uh, oh, love her. been a, uh, an influence on my journey. And actually, I met Julie at an ASDA conference and really connected. Um, we had known each other before then, but we really connected because um, I had mentioned to her I was going to that conference and um, that was way back a few years back now. And, and it was just fun to watch Julie also connect you know, it's almost like you connect to something you don't even know existed and you realize how much you already have in your own practice, but you needed that confirmation and that research and everything else, the community um, to help support and nurture your growth through that process. So it's, it's interesting to watch others that connect and then grow and learn so much from each other. So, and, and you mentioned the supervision. I think that's the other piece that's really powerful. That's, again, I'm seeing kind of newer in terms of what other dietitians are offering other dietitians of, like you said, you know, being able to shadow, but then also to work some of that work out with another dietitian who, who has a little more advanced training at the time that you're doing that work. Absolutely. I, I'm so grateful for how generous um, other dietitians and, and not just dietitians, but also therapists and um, providers from other um, disciplines have been in terms of offering their wisdom um, and me being able to learn from them. It's been incredible because, you know, because this is not something that we learn officially, right? Mm -hmm. in, in terms of our training, we really do need to kind of seek that information out for ourselves and other healthcare practitioners have been crucial in terms of my learning and my growth in this movement. Um, and so I owe so much, right? I, um, in terms of all the information that I share and, you know, everything that I, <laughs> that I contribute, I, I owe all of that to other people and, and um, what they've shared with me. So I, I do try to pay it forward right, when I can. And of course, I'm still learning, but um, I do try to 
to contribute what I know to, you know, people who are just starting out in this movement. Because I think that, you know, it fosters a sense of community and a sense of um, support that is so important in a movement that's very countercultural and that can be very exhausting at times. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, it's been wonderful building that community and, and having, having that support. For sure. So that kind of leads a nice segue into our next question that we have been curious about. Uh, and we were talking a little bit about before we hit record in terms of this new journey that you are on in terms of your master's in counseling. So we were just curious to know about your choice to do that. What moved you into that direction and where you're hoping it will go? Uh, so that that has been a big piece um, in my life in the past six months or so. I started my master's back in September of 2018. Um, and I decided, so I always knew that I wanted to do a master's. So when I finished my degree, my undergrad, um, I knew that I wasn't done with school completely, but I wasn't sure where I wanted to focus that extra energy and time and <laughs> resources. Um, and so I thought, you know, I would work for a few years and kind of get a better sense of what I love and what what is for me in this field and um, came to realize that it might not be nutrition. <laughs> I might not want to, um, yeah, to kind of dedicate that time and effort to learning more about nutrition. I think while I still love what I do, I wanted to expand that further and go into something a little bit different um, to really add to my current skill set. So um, working in the eating disorder field and working with the non-diet approach, um, I think mental health is a really, really big part of what I do. And I, I feel so ill-equipped to help my clients who are experiencing mental health struggles or even eating disorders. Um, and so it, it kind of just made sense for me to go on to do a master's in counseling psychology. And so far it's been really amazing to learn about, again, something that isn't nutrition. <laughs> so to learn about um, something that's completely new and it, it just fits so well with the work that I'm already doing. It, it, I don't plan to leave the dietitian world. I want to keep being a dietitian. I'm, you know, I love what I, I do in that sense, but um, this just really, yeah, adds, adds to my skill set, and I feel like I'll be better equipped to, um, to support a lot, of, a lot of my clients. I have so many premonitions of what you're going to be doing in the future, and it's probably selfish because I'm like, I'm hoping she does this. <laughs> just adding to the learning at, for dietitians, I think you're going to have so much to bring back to the community even more so than what you already do. So kudos to you for, you know, the, the things you give us um, from the work you share online. And I'm excited for you for that journey. So congratulations on that. And we look forward to watching what comes next for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I think I've, I've gotten a lot of questions from people around if I'm going to continue working as a dietitian, right? I think because it does sound like such a career change, the fact that I'm doing my master's in something so different, but um, I think I can really work on integrating the two um, in a way that, that will work really well, especially in the world of eating disorders. I think nutrition and mental health 
that's like the logical intersection of, um, of the two. And so I'm really excited to be able to, um, to work. Yeah. Within that framework. And we need more haze therapists out there. <laughs> so hopefully I'll be able to add to that. Um, eating disorders, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, it's always hard, unfortunately for me to find, um, you know, to, to find options for, for my clients. I, I have like a select few, you know, health at every size therapists in the area that I know about, but um, I think it's, yeah, we need, we need more. <laughs> and I mean, I think I just thinking with all the, the clients that I work with, there's not many sessions when mental health doesn't come up, mm-hmm. whether it's undiagnosed or diagnosed. Um, you know, it's, and as a dietitian, there's so many times where we all get stuck thinking, this is outside my scope of practice. What do I do next? And like you said, who can I refer to that is a professional that matches or complements the approaches that I'm using with this client? Absolutely. And even in my, in my training, um, I, you know, I've already recognized that the field of mental health therapy is also written with bias, right? And anti-bias. Already, you know, seeing conversations about, yeah, about, you know, pathologizing certain weights or um, also being quite diet focused, right? Um, Conversations around like, oh, well, if people cut out X, Y, Z, that might help with their mental health um, without, yeah, looking at the big picture of, okay, but if they cut out these foods, will that actually negatively impact their mental health because of their quality of life being affected? So um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a need for, for more health at every size and non-diet education within the therapy world. So hopefully, you know, becoming a therapist will help me to bring some of this, some of this work into that field as well. It's interesting because we talked a little bit earlier about um, the supportiveness of um, the dietitians in the Hayes world, the way we've like been kind of helping each other with supervision and stuff. I wonder if it's the same in the counseling therapist world as well like once you get settled and you start working from this paradigm and that I wonder if it's going to have the same effect like when I was thinking when you were talking earlier like Julie Seal mentioned that um Corey was one of the reasons she went started to become a Hayes working from the Hayes paradigm sorry and then you um then shadowed Julie and I followed you on social media do you, like we have this cool kind of web that we I guess and we all support each other. I'm wondering if you think it's going to be similar in this area or if there's just not as much breakthrough yet. Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think that the movement is definitely building, but it's a little bit less obvious, I would say, in the therapy world because, I mean, in the dietitian world, like we spend our lives talking about food and bodies. Mm-hmm. Right? That's kind of the core of what we do. Um, whereas in the therapy world, that's not always the topic of conversations, right? It, it can be so much broader in terms of mental health. Um, of course, it, it's almost impossible not to touch on that at some point. But um, yeah, I think for us as dietitians, it's really front and, front and center because it's, yeah, it just touches every aspect of what we do. Whereas 
in the therapy world, like unless you're working directly with people with eating disorders or around body image, it might not come up. So it doesn't seem to be as much of a priority in terms mm -hmm. of the social justice movement within that profession. Um, I think it should. <laughs> I'm very biased. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think, you know, once I've had conversation with conversations with therapists who didn't necessarily start off knowing this model and didn't necessarily align with that model but the more I explained it and the more I gave examples and the more I was able to show how it could positively impact their clients to be able to speak in a more compassionate way around food and bodies and um, then I think it did it did eventually get through to them right so I, I think there is um, a lot of potential for this movement to really grow within the therapy world. I think we're just not quite there yet. So I'm excited that, you know, I, I could be part of, part of that, right? Um, part of that growth. So mm -hmm. learning what I, you know, having learned what I've learned in the dietitian world and kind of bringing that into the therapy world, I think will be really exciting. I think that's amazing. We don't get enough training in mental health, I think, as dietitians, um, like when we're going through our schooling and, and counseling either, actually. Um, and I think we need to do more of that because there's so much in eating and in food and body talk that I think we need to do more of that as well. So I can't wait to see what you do, like what Corey said. Um, I'm gonna take a tiny little pivot because um, we're, the three of us uh, live in Canada. We're Canadian dietitians. And recently, um, I think it was, I forget the date. It was in February or January. Um, Canada's new food guide was released. And you had some really amazing insights onto our new food guide and um, its uses and some critiques. And I was just wondering if you could just kind of speak to that for a little bit um, about some thoughts that you had um, and anything you'd be willing to share. Yeah, yeah thank you for those kind words. I, um, I have to say that a lot of my thoughts about the New Canada's Food Guide, again, were kind of influenced by other non-diet dietitians that have spoken about this issue as well. Um, so there were great conversations online when yes when the food guide came out right I think a lot of us were like what do we do with this and how do we feel about this and and people shared incredible insight and I kind of took a lot of those insights and put them into a blog post that um that hopefully was was helpful for those outside of the non-diet dietitian world who yeah might have needed a, a different perspective. So. I'm wondering though if we should start with because sorry I just actually thought of this people might not be from Canada that are listening to this I wonder if we should say like the bit like maybe a couple of the changes from the previous food guide to the new one before we kind of get into the, a little bit about your thoughts because it might make more sense. Sure yeah um yeah so there's been quite a few changes um mm -hmm. So for those who were not familiar with our old food guide, so in the old food guide, um, foods were separated into four food groups. Um, for every food groups, there were kind of examples of food that, foods that fit within that group. And then there were um, suggested portion sizes um, based on um, like sex assigned at birth and age. Um, and there were a few extra kind of nutrition tips around that. Um, 
that was the old Canada side, and, and I mean, I had a lot of thoughts about that too, but that's, it's a whole other podcast (laughs) um and now the new cannabis food guide um resembles more like the the healthy plate model that we've seen from the u.s so um instead of looking at portions we've we're, we're using kind of a balanced plate model that has proportions so we have you know half our plate being fruits and veggies a quarter of our plate being um protein-based foods, and then a quarter of our plate being whole grain. So that's what they're suggesting now, um, water being the beverage of choice, um, and then some information about kind of how to eat as well. So there's, you know, messages around, like, eating with others and cooking at home, um, being, you know, being critical of the, the messages that we get around food from the media, and um, some mindful eating if we can call it that <laughs> mindful eating <laughs> and, and, fullness, and we'll get back to that i'm sure um yeah so that's kind of in a nutshell what we're seeing in the bc guide i don't know if you had anything to add that i've missed no i think for me that was most of it um corey did you pick up yeah, anything? i think what jose you really brought up for me as a dietitian who works with mindful eating intuitive eating and health at every size is that some dietitians who are maybe unfamiliar with this approach may kind of get stuck in the co-opting of that. So I think maybe that's going to be something you might even touch on um, in terms of, you know, the rest of the messaging on there is still a little diet centric for me personally. And so, you know, with using the plate model and sort of helping to transition dietitians to a more health at every size framework, um, it's just maybe some things, you know, from what I read from the blog posts that you were sharing is, is just things for us to be aware of, especially working with uh, more vulnerable populations like your, your work with eating disorders. So I think that was stuff you were going to get into, but I'm glad we stepped back and, and sort of went through those changes because I think it'll give folks kind of that, that framework to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think my, you know, my overall impression when thinking about more of the general public um, is that the new food guide is certainly like a step in the right direction, yeah. a big enough step in my, in my opinion, <laughs> because it still, it still centers um, what could be misconstrued as food rules, right? So we know as healthcare professionals that the food guide is a guide, right? It's a public health document. It's really meant to kind of guide policy changes and um, help with, you know, menus and institutions and things like that. And I think that's where the food guide has its place and makes a lot of sense. Um, And, and, you know, I, yeah, it it should exist in that, in that way Um, where I think it can really become an issue is when people, take that as like an individual meal plan um because then it's it's very it does become very restrictive and very kind of food rules based and it doesn't necessarily leave a lot of room for culture for food preferences for health issues for you know really all those things that make our eating habits unique to us um and i don't think that the guide was ever intended to be that but it can very easily be taken that way. So I think that's where there's a lack of nuance in the conversation around the food guide. Um, and that, yes, and then especially when it comes to 
folks with eating disorders, um, it becomes kind of an extra layer of complicated, which is why I, I decided to write that blog post. So why don't you give us a little bit of a summary of your blog post for those that haven't read it, and we can link to it in the show notes for anyone who would like to read it, because um, it's really great. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, so I, like I said, I decided to write this blog post because, a, you know, the food guide is definitely not a tool that is appropriate for people who are experiencing disordered eating or eating disorders. Um, and I was getting a lot of questions from my clients, right? Like, what do mm -hmm. I do with this? <laughs> what do I do with yeah. this? <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I'll just kind of pull everyone's thoughts together. Um, and so, yeah, so wrote a blog post on why Canada's Food Guide is not appropriate for those with eating disorders. So some of the main points was that, so what I said right around Canada's Food Guide being a public health document, first and foremost, right? It's not actually meant to be used necessarily on an individual basis unless, you know, you have a dietitian there who's helping you increase the flexibility and kind of adapt it to your own specific needs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of the, the first point. Um, the other thing is that, yeah, it can create a whole set of food rules, um, especially for those who are really vulnerable to those Kind of diety messages, right? It, it can create that idea that, for example, we always have to make sure that half our plate is vegetables or else there's something like morally wrong with us or yes. we're going to, you know, we're going to develop all these health issues if that's not our plate at every single meal, right? It, it again, it doesn't allow a lot of space for nuance. Um, people can look at that and, and really run with it, right? Without, um, yeah, without knowing that that's necessarily not how it's intended to be. So that's another, another big piece. Um, and I know that there's been a lot of conversations as well around um, dairy, right, being mm -hmm. grouped in with the protein, other protein foods, the, the old meat and substitutes kind of group. Um, and so now there's a lot of, of fear, you know, around dairy and how dairy might not be um, something that we should be including. And so a lot of, a lot of creating a lot of fear around that. And again, I don't think the food guide ever intended that to be the case, but that's really how it's being interpreted. So um, yeah, so really fueling those food rules for those who, who do have a bit of an all or nothing approach to eating. Um, so yeah, so that was another point. Um, the other piece, which Corey actually spoke to in this blog post, so thank you, Corey, for those thoughts, is around um, the, the emphasis on the plant-based proteins. Yeah. Which, again, I think from a, from a public health standpoint makes some sense, right? I think there is, there is merit to kind of varying our sources of protein. Um, but again, in a, in a non-diet way, right? Not in a, like, you should do this, but, like, you can do this if you want to, right? Um, but again, I think that message can be really risky for those who are, are vulnerable to food rules because then they see that and they think, okay, I have to go vegan, right? And so there, there's not a lot of space for that nuanced conversation. Um, Corey, I don't know if you wanted to add some, some thoughts around that since you um, 
you did speak to that in, in some of our online conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you definitely highlighted what my thoughts were around um, the fact that people can take those health messages, especially the population ones, and individualize them for lots of things. So, you know, we could get sidetracked in conversations about even body mass index and how that was originally developed and now it's being used as an individual tool. And, and so, you know, my, my thoughts around that could probably derail us. So to keep us sort of um, in a somewhat guided conversation around the, the thing that I'm seeing in the media right now is the popularity of some of those protein-based fad diets. And now we even have one that's like fat-based with keto. And so I, I guess my original response to that messaging was this is almost now giving permission for those, those, those fad diets in an unintended way. Mm-hmm. So how, how as dietitians are we going to, and not just dietitians, but anybody working in nutrition, um, and as an individual who's reading these messages, how do we sort of um, set boundaries around that kind of messaging to know that, you know, for me, what's going to be most appropriate for me from this messaging that I'm receiving? Yeah, it's exactly. so important. Yeah, and, and I really loved the, the thoughts around um, this potentially contributing to healthism, right? And yes. Like orthorexia tendencies. Um, and that's, that's a really, a really important piece as well, right? When we're looking at something like Canada's food guide, um, again, I, I don't think that this is the intended purpose or the intended purpose, No, not at all. But it, it does sometimes give us the impression that this is the key to health, right? This is the way that we're going to achieve health is, is through nutrition and nothing else. So it, it really does contribute to that, that nutritionism, right, or healthism around mm-hmm. like, Nutrition and, and fitness are the only, you know, only things we should be focusing on um, where we know that there are so many societal and environmental pieces that contribute to our health, right? When you look at social determinants of health and experiences of oppression and stigma, right? These are, are the things that I think from a public health perspective, we could have a really, really big impact um, without digging into the nitty gritty nutrition pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, when I was thinking about eating disorders and the new food guide, um, I was, I was afraid I was going to give too much permission to the eating disorder voice. The see, we are supposed to be plant based. See, we are supposed to not have dairy. See, we are not supposed to eat white bread. Um, That because I think people will look at the picture. Um, first and foremost, and not necessarily read the text that goes along with the uh, food guide either. And um, that was something that I, like the, one of the first things that stood out for me personally, um, when I think about the eating disorder population as well. And even just um, how do we present it to kids um, in a way that's, because they're very black and white thinkers, right, when they're younger, and we know the food guides are used in school, so how does it get presented to children in a way that is nuanced, and how do they figure out their wrap um, that they have for lunch on the plate? Mm-hmm. 
those were all the things that came up in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a nicer way of saying what I was trying to say. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. It's my half a cup of coffee I'm having right now. <laughs> Got some words out. Um, sorry, um, Jose, did you have anything else you wanted to add about that? I feel like I cut in, so. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, I think we, all of us as dietitians have a lot of thoughts about this new food guide, right? So mm. it's hard to, um, it's hard to, to wrap my head around, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, the other piece, um, in terms of specifically with eating disorders, right, the, the food guide in the context of eating disorders, um, is that the food guide really misses the mark on such an important nutrient, which is fats. Um, it is not really highlighted in any way in this food guide, especially not mm -hmm. in the snapshot, right, which is the, the plate model. Um, and this is, to me, a really, a really big downfall or downside of this new food guide because fat is already oftentimes a nutrient that is really feared for a lot of people. Um, and now, like you were saying, Lori, I think it's, it's adding, it might be adding to that eating disorder voice that is saying, you know, fat is bad and you don't need to include it. And whereas yeah. fat plays such an important role um, in so many things, right? In our physical health, but also in our sense of satiety and, and satisfaction and pleasure when it comes to food. So um, that is another <laughs> big criticism that I have of the new, the new food guide. Um, so I did want to mention that because I feel like that's, that's an important one. That's so important. You're right. Because, um, so I'm teaching at uh, one of the universities for nursing students and I had presented the old food guide to them at the beginning of the course. And then midway through the new food guide came out. Mm -hmm. And so I got them to evaluate it and pretty much every single one of them caught that they had to dig to find any information about fats. Yeah. Cause it's, you're right. Like you can find, a little tiny blurb on it, but it's it's pretty much really difficult for anybody with common knowledge around nutrition. They would miss those important points around fats. Absolutely, um, yeah, and it's so important in in the context of eating disorder recovery because, like I said, oftentimes it is a, a nutrient that is used, right? It's it's I think because historically, like fat has been the bad guy, right? And so I think a lot of those, um, a lot of those messages around fats have carried through into 2019. And so, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, I, I already do a lot of work in terms of trying to normalize fats and trying to, um, to bring them back into people's eating habits, right? Uh, because they play such an important role. And so I, I was quite disappointed to see that. And um, even though we know that, again, the food guide is not intended for um, the eating disorder population, but even for the general population, fats are important, right? So, yeah. um, so that that I think is is kind of a big a big downfall, even from a public health perspective, without even considering the eating disorder population. Um, yeah, and then it's it's also looking at um, how in general, like energy, energy dense drinks, right, plays such an, again, an important role in eating disorder recovery as well, right, where we're trying to make every bite count and, and we're, we're trying to 
help people, you know, refeed their bodies and, and nourish their bodies. And, and I do fear that this new cannabis food guide is really emphasizing, you know, um, with this like less processed foods conversation and all of that. I, again, I, I have a lot of fears in terms of how those messages get interpreted. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I have a lot of thoughts clearly on those stones. <laughs> Well, that's why we wanted to talk to you. (laughs) I think we're thankful that things are moving because it had been a long time since it had been updated. And, and, you know, personally, I found the older version way too many numbers. And Mm -hmm. so there is some benefit to, to updating and coming together and, and sort of exploring that. And I think I had made some comments um, to, to the update as well when it was being circulated within our community. So yeah, I mean, it's nice to see some words appearing and, and possibly giving others a platform to now connect with those words and figure out where they can learn more. And so my thoughts to you about that, um, Jose, were about dietitians who are going to be listening to this and other nutrition professionals who are going to hear you saying things like oppression and social justice and maybe not really understand what that is. So I'm just wondering, as we close up, if if there's something you more you could offer to that as an explanation of what you mean, and then possibly one or two places that you have found really helpful to, you know, whether it's a financial investment you've had to make towards learning more about that, or even some things that um, you have found available and accessible without financial uh, commitments, because I know some people that are going to have that struggle, especially when they don't have those education dollars. Um, so that's a big question. However, if there's any parts of that you could comment on, I think would be so helpful for people listening. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes, I could talk about this for another hour, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I'm certainly not necessarily the best person to speak about this either, just because going back to that conversation about my all of the privileges that I experienced, right? And so, mm-hmm. again, all the information that I'm sharing about social justice and anti-oppression are really coming from those with lived experience that have shared their knowledge and wisdom with me, right? And so um, I'm just kind of conveying what I've learned from that, but I always encourage people to go learn from those who have that lived experience um, and to pay them if you can <laughs> to learn about these things. Yes. Uh, but, you know, where what I see the role of social justice in the dietitian world, it's there's a lot there, but I think the most obvious thing for me is when we're working with clients, being really, really mindful of, first of all, what we bring into the room, right? So when we're able to recognize those unearned privileges that that we have and that we bring into the room, we can be more aware of reducing power dynamics in the room and giving more space to the person in front of us to really speak their truth and their share their story and share their experiences without our, you know, our privileged reflexes kind of saying that's wrong or that's not how it is or, or so really like, honestly, a lot of it is, is sitting and listening and learning. Um, and yeah. And, and also just recognizing the ways that, yeah, that you might have been contributing to, mm-hmm. to the stigmatization of people, of course, 
a lot of it is not intended, right? We, I think in this profession, mm-hmm. most of us are, are compassionate people who are caring and who, who want to help. Um, so we never intend to harm, but I think we can, you know, unintentionally harm when we're not listening, right? And when, when we're going in with that expert hat and we're not, not allowing our clients to, to be the experts of their own bodies. So I feel like I'm going in 10 different directions with this, but, um, mm. but that's in a nutshell where I think dietitians can do a lot of work is recognizing the, the barriers that our clients face, recognizing um, the experiences of stigma that they face and how that has shaped the way that they eat, the way that they cope through eating, um, the way that, yeah, that they experience their body. Um, so making a lot of space for that in a non-judgmental and compassionate way is, is where I think the, mo- the most practical and applicable thing that, that dietitians can really do. Um, in, in terms of learning more about this, one thing that has been really helpful for me is being part of, of ASDA, um, so the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health, and lots of webinars and resources in terms of learning more about that. Um, the other thing that's been really helpful is that for dietitians, the conversations in the, the Weight Inclusive Dietitians in Canada group um, that has been mentioned, I believe, on this podcast before. Yes. So um, for those dietitians in Canada that want to learn more about this way of practicing, that, that group has been really wonderful. I think there's a lot of a lot of wisdom being shared in that group. There are so many great conversations happening all the time. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and really, it's a group for all levels, right? So for people yeah. who are just curious about this and want to, to start kind of digging into it, um, all the way to like, you know, the experts who are able to um, really help shape and guide these conversations. So I really love that and then the last thing that comes to mind as a, a free um, resource is just, again, social media. So sh- shaping your social media in a way that you're following a lot of people um, who experience marginalization, right? Who, um, mm-hmm. Whose experiences might be different from your own. Who, um, Yeah, we can learn a lot just by listening to those stories and and sitting with the discomfort sometimes that comes with reading, reading some of these experiences and thinking, you know, I know sometimes I've had that reflex of like, oh, but that's not me. Like, I'm not doing that, right? I'm, I'm not X, Y, Z. Um, but really sitting with that and asking myself why I feel uncomfortable, right, reading that. And, and that usually is a sign that I have work to do on my end. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, following people with lived experience, I think is, is, really crucial and again if you have the the means to pay people for that emotional that's really crucial and important yes i'm so glad we got to ask you that because that was such a great answer to you know not just here's the resource but here are things that you need to be considerate of and think about um and be prepared for so that's so important thank you um, perhaps you, when you, um, we can put some links to some maybe accounts or anything that you think would be really great for people to follow in the show notes. Sure, and I can I can send you some of that um, off the top of my head. I can't think of 
anything specific. Oh, for sure. You can just. But I can send you once I scroll through my Instagram. And <laughs> oh, yeah. I can't. I don't even know my own name on Instagram. I couldn't tell you any account, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so I just want to be very mindful of your time and because we so are appreciative of you joining us today, we like to finish here with talking a little bit about what's nourishing us right now. So it can be anything that you find is nourishing professionally or personally, um, and anything you're comfortable sharing. Absolutely. I love that question. I remember when you asked it at the training that I attended with you both back in September and Oh, I love that. I want to use that with everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and I was kind of reflecting on that, um, knowing that this question was coming. Um, and there's a lot that I could say because I, again, you know, there's so much in my life that I'm really grateful for. But one really fun thing that I've been doing recently is I've been going to these throwback pop dance classes, which have been so fun so they're they're meant for adults they're drop-in classes um and it's just such a such a fun activity so we haven't you know we didn't talk about joyful movement today but it's really been an experience of joyful movement for me um throwing on that like those songs from the 90s and early 2000s oh my god the 90s are throwbacks now <laughs> i was thinking like 80s <laughs> um so yeah, so, but it's been a, a lot of fun to, you know, move my body in a way that is just, just fun, right? No pressure. Um, everyone in the, the class is like pretty horrible at dancing and no one cares, right? It's been so fun. Um, so that's one thing that came to mind on like a lighter note. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah. And then from a, a professional perspective, I think my, my master's as much as like I want to pull my hair out sometimes because it, it really is a lot of work. Um, <laughs> I think it has been um, creating a lot of kind of optimism and, and hope that, yeah, that my, my career will bring me somewhere that uh, will be really nourishing for me and, and um, that I can be really passionate about. So that's a, another big piece as much again, as it's kind of weighing on my shoulders all the time, all this work that I need to do. Um, it's been, it's been really, really amazing. So yeah, that's, that's what's been nourishing me amongst other things. <laughs> awesome. There's so much music going through my head right now. And yeah. you know, it's just so nice to see the other side of humans and not just the professional side. So, so fun for you to mention the joyful movement piece. Very cool. <laughs> now, where can everybody stay in touch with you? Where would you like us to uh, direct that connection piece in terms of what's next for you? How can we stay in touch? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm relatively active online, although sometimes, again, my work and school kind of get in the way of, of me being um, as active as I would like to be. But um, I recently have been most active, I would say, on Instagram. So I'm at Jose Sadinsky RD. Um, same handle for Twitter if you want to find me on there. Um, and then you can always find me on my website as well, which is uh, Um And there are links to my social media on there as well if you wanted to find me that way. And yeah, folks are always welcome to connect with me if they have questions or they're looking for resources in the Hayes world, um, I'm always happy to redirect 
people to the right, the right places. Um, again, you know, I, like I was mentioning, I'm so grateful for everyone who has done that work for me as I've been kind of muddling my way, you know, finding my way in, in the health at every size movement and non-diet world. And so always happy to pay it forward and, and connect people um, to the right, the right resources. So yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. And can I say, please follow her on Instagram. Uh, you throw down some amazing thought bombs. <laughs> um, you do. They're great. It's like, oh, yes. Copy link. Be sure. Um, yeah, no, I, you have some amazingly thought provoking quotes that you throw up. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Those are usually my like, you know, midnight thoughts as I'm trying to fall asleep and, you know, reflecting on my life, like these are usually <laughs> the things that come up and I'm like, I need to share this with people. <laughs> oh, they're wonderful. I thought you were going to say they were coming from your nineties dance moves, but probably a bit of that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Jose, for joining us. Um, I, you know, I'm excited to edit this because I get to go back and re-listen to this over and over again. And there was a lot of thought bombs in this podcast uh, recording. So I'm so excited. So thank you so much for spending your time with Lori and I. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so great and so wonderful following the work that you both do as well. I'm really glad that uh, that we have this this community in Ontario and uh, yeah, it makes me feel better that there are other people doing this work close by. Today's episode is brought to you by our Join the Band Teespring store. Click the link in our show notes to check out our badass non-diet dietitian merchandise. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Nourish Circle. Don't forget to like us on iTunes or Spotify and subscribe so that you never miss an episode.